Welcome, this is Prostate Cancer and You, a podcast produced by the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition. The mission, to educate, connect, and support men at risk, newly diagnosed individuals, survivors, and their families. It also connects organizations and professionals in Massachusetts who are looking to conquer and cure prostate cancer. Hello, I'm Jordan Rich, and I recently attended the presentation of the Jack Colbert Award to Dr. Claire Tempany from Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. The Jack Colbert Memorial Award, established in 2008, honoring a founding member of MPCC, is presented to a distinguished individual in the medical community. It was a great chance to meet up and talk with many, including Dr. Tempany, whom we'll get to. Starting things off, let's hear from Alan Snyder, chairman of the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition Board. I asked Alan to comment on the progress we've made since the coalition was founded. A lot more people have better outcomes. The death rates drop probably from about 39,000 to 26,000 men per year. Men still are di- getting diagnosed. I had three clients just within the last couple of weeks that were diagnosed. So they're now facing treatment options, treatment options that are now much more advanced, much more sensitive, much more guided in their therapies, um, such that that's why the survival rate has really improved. You've seen this organization grow over the years, obviously. Where do you see it in 2019, 2020, in terms of its function, its role, what it's really here to do? Well, our our mission is really to kind of raise awareness, to educate, and be a resource for men and their families who've been affected by the disease. Um, One of our signature events, as some of the other speakers have noted, has been the symposium that we sponsored every May, where we have over 300 attendees, uh, doctors from the local hospitals that are on panel discussions, et cetera, to try to get information out so that people have more information to make the choice that's right for them. There's also something about having men available to talk to other men. For people who are finding themselves in this maelstrom right now, the coalition offers an opportunity for you to learn from other guys. That's very, very true. I've received calls through the years from people around the country, people that either know that I've been involved, they've seen our website, they've heard about you know the various great teaching hospitals that we have here. So we will try to provide that as a resource to connect people with caregivers for second opinions and and more information so that they can make the right choice for them. You urge people to get in touch. That's correct. I think that the more information they have is positive, but also it's very reassuring when they talk to someone that's been through it about the issues of erectile dysfunction, incontinence, how long they're inactive, those type of issues. That's a great message. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Jordan. Dr. Richard Babayan is a urology specialist in Boston. He said more than 44 years of diverse experience, especially in urology, affiliated with Boston Medical Center and many other doctors and specialists. We talked first about the fact that men need to be more proactive when it comes to their health. You know, women go to doctors on a regular basis. Men tend not to go to doctors unless they feel ill. And if you wait until you feel ill, the cat's out of the bag and prostate cancer is a slow growing disease that doesn't have symptoms early on. And unless you're looking for it, you're not gonna find it. And it's the most common tumor in men over the age of 50. And most men have very little knowledge about it. So we're trying to educate people, uh, educate not only the men, but their families. So uh, oftentimes, the spouses or the loved ones will bring their husbands or their boyfriends in 
for checkups because they've read about it. Dr. Babayan comments on the changes he's seen over the years in how we deal with prostate cancer. It used to be thought that you get any disease early and you treat it definitively and that was what was necessary. And then we started to look back and said, maybe we don't need to treat as many of these men. And uh, for the last 20 years or so, uh, for low-grade, low-stage disease, you can actually follow these men on what's called active surveillance and then wait to see if they have an aggressive form of the disease or not. So many men can get away without invasive treatments, either radiation or surgery, and avoid the complications, but yet still stay on top of their disease. We've modified our techniques to avoid damaging the nerves and the blood vessels that surround the prostate. So in many cases, if you pick it up early, you can preserve erectile function, continence, and avoid a lot of the complications that used to go hand in hand with surgery or radical radiation. And a key to so much of the success is outreach, isn't it? You know, I've been fortunate. I've been president of the American Urological Association. And on a national scale, we have a big outreach program. Here in Massachusetts, uh, MPCC does a wonderful job in educating the public. And we have an annual forum where we have a lot of survivors or people interested in prostate cancer coming, hearing from experts on a level that they can comprehend. We're continuing the work. There were so many great people at this event, many who have survived and thrived. Meet Les Kavicki. I was diagnosed six years ago, and uh, my maternal grandfather had passed away from prostate cancer 40 years ago, so it was certainly an eye-opener to receive the same diagnosis. Uh, made a decision with my surgeon that I would have an open radical prostatectomy, mm -hmm. which I did, and there's been no additional cancer issues since. A few side effects, which fortunately we're able to correct, and uh, I'm you know, 65 years old now, and life is very, very good to me. I asked Lee to comment on the positive role that the MPCC board plays. I think that the most important thing about the board and its activities is that we create additional visibility. There's a lot of uh, hidden angst about prostate cancer. Men don't like to investigate issues that pertain to them, and they don't necessarily get the guidance that they need or see the doctors as often as they should. And the Mass Prostate Cancer Coalition does a great deal of work to educate men to really follow through with those regular PSA checks and meetings with their primary care physicians and, if necessary, a urologist to identify an issue early and do something about it. What general advice do you have for someone who's just been diagnosed? What would you suggest they sort of think about or do along with taking care of themselves medically? That's a terrific question, Jordan. The reality is there are many, many resources for folks who have just been diagnosed. When I was diagnosed, I researched the internet and I found several books on the subject and I sort of retreated and read those books in order to allow myself and my family to make the right decision for me. But there are uh, dozens and dozens of, of resources on the, the internet as well as locally in the community to help you decide what the best thing to do is. There are so many options today with regard to treatment. Some of them are pharmacological, some of them are physical or surgical, and uh, it's good to know a little bit about all of those in order to decide what's best for you.
Next up, I spoke with Dr. Mark Garnick, an internationally renowned expert in medical oncology and urologic cancer at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. We talked about the strides being made in battling prostate cancer. Well, I just think it's a very exciting time to be a physician involved in the care and management of patients with prostate cancer because of all of the many advances. And I think for people that have advanced prostate cancer, we've really converted this, what was almost a uniformly lethal disease, into one that we can treat chronically for long periods of time. Prostate cancer is a multitude of different diseases. We're making phenomenal progress in patients who have advanced forms of prostate cancer. So in terms of new drugs, what we call new targets that drugs can affect, that affect the growth and development of prostate cancer, patients who previously would have had a life expectancy of a year and a half to two and a half years allow living five, 10, or 15 years as a result of interventions. So that's one component of prostate cancer. The genetics that underlie or under, underscore prostate cancer development, the mutations that those, uh, that those aspects of cancer development affect are also being better understood, and new drugs are being developed for those. The real controversy is still with the screening aspects. Screening is a real issue because despite decades and decades of, of e efforts to try to identify patients when they have potentially curable prostate cancer and intervening, the, those results have been somewhat disappointing in terms of screening studies. However, the light at the end of that tunnel is even though you may be diagnosed with prostate cancer, in the past you would uniformly get treated for it. Now we can do stratification to determine if the cancer is going to act like a lion or a lamb. And so we tend to leave the little lambs alone until they develop any problems and the lines we end up treating very aggressively. So you've got a whole bunch of tools in your toolkit, more than you've ever had? Absolutely. I've been a prostate cancer student for four, for four decades, and the amount of information and the amount of new drugs that have been occurring, the new procedures, including radiation, including methods to even look at ablation or elimination of tiny little focuses of prostate cancer the technology has expanded explosively. That's exciting. Is there any new research as to a way to prevent it or to minimize the, the possibility of getting prostate cancer? So that's a cri critically important question. And there's, there have been huge studies done on dietary interventions as well as drug interventions. And we know that, that on a population basis that the incidence of prostate cancer along with colon cancer and breast cancer increase as, as individuals and societies increase their ingestion of red meat, of animal, of animal fats derived from red meat. So we know that we can decrease the overall incidence if people modulate their dietary intake of red meat. Unfortunately, there have been a whole series of other interventions such as vitamin E and selenium, which were thought to prevent the development of prostate cancer, which have not panned out. And actually, vitamin E, not vitamin D, vitamin E can actually increase the incidence of prostate cancer. So I tell all of my patients, if, they, if they're taking supplements, I don't mind vitamin D, as in David, and calcium, but avoid vitamin E and selenium. Those are the two that have had deleterious effects on prostate cancer outcomes. Yes, so the other important aspect is there are some drugs that have been used for chemo, what we call prevention of prostate cancer. There's good news and bad news. The good news is these drugs actually decrease the incidence of 
conventional, typical garden variety of prostate cancer, but there's this gnawing effect that they may actually increase the development of high-grade and more aggressive cancers. So the FDA actually several, you know, almost 10 years ago, reviewed all of that information and basically gave a thumbs down to the use of these drugs, which are commonly used for benign enlargement of the prostate gland as a means of preventing prostate cancer. Oftentimes, drugs that are intended for one treatment end up being used for other treatments. That's something in oncology that you probably see somewhat often. Exactly. So this, this particular class of drugs, the drugs are called finasteride and dutasteride, or Proscar and Avidart, were actually developed as a prostate cancer treatment. They did not do terribly well then. They were very effective in treating the symptoms of benign enlargement of the prostate gland. And then the, the studies were done to look at them as a, what we call a chemo-preventative to prevent the development of prostate cancer, which they did, but the, the, the downside was that there was an increased incidence of high-grade cancers. Leaders from the community were present at this event, including Dalton Skerritt, CEO and president of CESID, which stands for the Center for the Elimination of Health and Social Inequities and Disparities. Reaching the African-American male population is a challenge, but Dalton has come up with some novel ways to do just that. One of the concepts that I develop on Theorem, a real-life man cave which is developed to be established in health centers, hospitals, what it does is softens up the environment of a hospital or health center or health institution to make it more palatable and man-friendly. And when you think of man-friendly, the best place to think of is in the man cave. That's where guys eat buffalo wings. Right. And we say, you know what, the wife put me on the couch last night. She, she had it with me, you know. I didn't fix the bulb or something. So they're more transparent. They take off the armor and they're able to relate to each other and really talk about really serious issues. Because sometimes with prostate, especially in the African-American population, it is looked upon as demasculizing someone. Tend to make sure that in the man cave, we empower men to take action, to be informed, to know that prostate do kill if you do not, if you have the aggressive form of prostate that metastasizes so quickly and you stay there, you know, to age 50 and you could have caught it at age 45 or 40. If the family has histories, mm. the risk factors are high. The next theorem is the Titanic factor. The Titanic factor, which I develop, is, is a concept that we develop healthcare without enough life crafts to help men. So, mm. in almost every hospital, men, women will identify with something. There's OBGYN, there's even if they had babies obstetrics, you know, you know, there's something that identifies with women. But when you look at um, healthcare, there's not really something that identifies with men as men's health. So, urology is not quite men's health. So that's where the man cave and the titanic factor fits together. And there's yet a third plan, which seems to make a lot of sense. Dalton? We developed one of the most advanced things where we tested out a prototype to see if we could educate men by educating a few Uber drivers and see if they will educate their passengers on the importance of getting a checkup. It's called the Rideshare Health Educational Program. You could educate anyone on any, anything from... Um, diabetes to heart, you know, car you know, cardiovascular diseases, right. multiple things. But we chose prostate as one of the ways to educate men. So when we, what we said was, when you get a man in there, tell them about recently it is important now for men to check their prostate on time, engage their doctor. Blew our minds away. This thing caused so many men to actually call Cessid. They were amazed at this, that they went to the doctor. Some even found out they had prostate cancer and didn't know. 
And finally, a few words from the star of the evening, Dr. Claire Tempany, Vice Chair of Research at the Department of Radiology at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Let me start by saying congratulations on winning the award today. Uh, Tell me how you're feeling and what it means. Well, thank you very much. It's an extraordinary honor. I've just come from the room where the presentation will be made and noted the list of the previous recipients uh, who are really several of the greats in prostate cancer treatment and care of men with prostate cancer in the Boston area. And um, I'm happy to say that I'm the first radiologist on the list. And as a radiologist, you probably know we do imaging of the prostate, and we have found some very exciting uh, new ways to pick up prostate cancer early. So it's an extraordinary honor from that perspective, I think, because I feel like I'm representing all of the patients and all of the people that have worked on that over the last 20 years. It's been a long journey since I was a fellow at Johns Hopkins back in 1988 uh, to today, where I've been learning about prostate cancer from the greats and many of those listed in the room. So tell me, in simple terms, what's happening in radiology that's so exciting to you? What can you talk about with us today? Yes, and we started in the beginning, 25, 30 years ago, looking at the gland, trying to determine the extent of cancer, for staging, as we call it. How big is it? How far is it growing? Is it into other organs? That kind of thing. And now, in the transition period over the last 20 years, we are now looking to find focal cancer to make the diagnosis. We're doing it now more and more in men prior to a biopsy, so it allows us to guide the actual diagnostic biopsy sampling of the gland. And this has been a journey that's, like as I say, a long one, but now we've reached a place where internationally there's a community of us and many people now throughout the world who are using MRI prior to biopsy. So it's really being a very dramatic change, and I think it's making a big impact because it allows doctors and their patients for now for the first time to have a target to determine is there something in this prostate that actually needs to be biopsied. Many, of the, many people now believe if the MRI is negative, it is not necessary to do a biopsy. And so this may change the whole initial workup of men suspected of having this disease. Is it due to the hardware in terms of radiology, the tech, in other words? Has it really improved to the point? Combination of a lot of things. Combination of the MRI itself, the actual tech, as you could say, exactly the magnetic field strength. So higher field strength magnets are now able to do better than when we started in the beginning. Uh, the interpretation and the understanding that the radiology brings to the looking at the picture so to speak the analysis of those images has changed dramatically and then more importantly maybe about uh, when it was about five years ago we introduced a thing called pyrads and pyrads is a new terminology scoring system for the radiologist to assign a score to the image which has now made it a lot easier for most radiologists to actually say this man is a prostate pyrads one or four or five and that's really helped us all with our communication and explanation of the findings. It sounds very much like team approach more than ever between your department and other departments. Have you seen a a sea change in the sense of communication between specialties so that men have a better shot? Yes, no, that's a very good point. Thank you for bringing it up. Um, The multidisciplinary nature of the work has really expanded now to include radiologists, urologists, radiation oncologists, medical oncologists, and pathologists. And now we're all speaking the same language because we use the scoring systems for imaging that then correlate with what the pathologists find on their biopsy specimens. And there's a lot more 
lot more interest in joint conferences and joint communications that really helps the patient instead of going from one doctor to another. Everyone's now speaking the same language. For men and their families listening, this is an important opportunity to message what's happening and the level of hope, whether it's rising, whether it's stagnant, how we are doing in the fight. So just in general terms, where do you see us? Well, I think that we're in a very good place now. I mean, certainly in in the space that I work in, which is local early stage prostate cancer, in the detection of this now, we're in a much better place than we were 10 years ago. Before, many men were having repeated biopsies, multiple times, multiple needles. It's not a trivial procedure. The MRI is giving the doctors now a roadmap of where to go with that needle. So this roadmap has made a huge difference. In the past, the, the biopsies were somewhat blinded and somewhat just sampling the organ randomly, sort of looking for a needle in a haystack, so to speak, as it's been compared to. And now with this roadmap, one can actually say, you need a biopsy, you don't need a biopsy, your cancer looks bad, your cancer looks good, and makes a huge difference for men, thinking about where their treatment is going to take them to. Conversations with many in the field of prostate cancer care, research, and development. A community, a coalition, all of us coming together. My thanks to all of our wonderful guests today. I invite you to stay tuned for future podcasts featuring valuable information and resources, the latest in research and treatment, and stories of real people who have challenged prostate cancer and won. To learn more about the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition and to hear the Prostate Cancer in You podcast, go to masspcc.org. That's masspcc.org. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and with all Android players. This is Jordan Rich wishing you a fabulous day.